Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. So our first Bible reading comes from Jeremiah 2, verses 11 to 13. Has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are not gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for the worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder your great honour, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own crescents, and broken crescents that cannot hold water. Our second Bible reading is from John 4, verses 1 to 15. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptizing, but, the, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now that he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town near Samaria called Syoch, near the, the, plot of, the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink, draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it who it who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirst. They will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in the spring of water welling up eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here, coming here to draw water. Speak briefly tonight on a topic that might potentially uh, hit a little close to home, uh, might challenge you more than you thought you were going to be challenged as you braved the cold to come out here this evening. I'm going to speak uh, about a topic of particular, I want to challenge us around uh, the different things in your life that you reach for, that you go to, uh, that is your sort of, uh, you know, uh, default method uh, to feel better. Uh, to, to reduce your stress, uh, to, to find relief. And I wonder in your life, 
uh, when, and, and this is a when, not if, when you get stressed or when you get tired or when you get anxious or angry or when you get lonely or filled with regret or when you feel like everything is just too much and you just want to find some relief and feel better, I wonder what it is for you, and you may want to keep that between you and God tonight, and that's fine, but I wonder what it is for you. What is the thing or things uh, that are your go-tos to feel better? What are the things that are your go-tos to find relief, to cope uh, with, with what can be a difficult life for each of us? Psychologists use the term self-medicate when it comes to those things that we reach for uh, to feel better, that we reach for and take uh, and consume to feel better. And I'll tell you something tonight. Uh, This sermon, this message is not a message that is about shaming you for wanting to feel better. This is not a sermon that is shaming you for wanting to find relief. In fact, what I would say is that desire to find relief, that desire to break the tension, that desire to reduce even temporarily the stress that we might face is a natural uh, given and God-ordained part of our being and, and, and not uh, necessarily uh, God-ordained like before sin entered the world, but like a necessary like red light indicator that, that speaks to the fact that this world isn't as it is supposed to be and that we live in that world and God knows that. The fact that we want to feel better, we want to feel okay, we want to reduce our stress and our anxieties and our worries is not a sin. But each of us uh, reach for different things and self-medicate. And the awesome thing about this, really, if, if you want to just sort of like half sneakily look around, is that we are all doing this. We're all doing it, but perhaps in different ways. Okay, For some of us, we might drink alcohol and too much alcohol. For some of us, we might go to Netflix and spend way too long uh, binging a show. For some of us, we might just simply disappear into the feeds on our phone. For some of us, uh, we might take one or two or three too many trips to the fridge and eat too much food. For some of us, we throw ourselves into our work. For some of us, okay, we just want to earn more and more money. For some of us, uh, it's going full throttle uh, in our career. For some of us, it's going full throttle at school and just feeling good about the fact that we are better than somebody else. Every single one of us in our unique ways reach for things, go to things in order to feel better about our existence and our life, to reduce the tiredness, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, even temporarily, the loneliness or the feeling of regret or the feeling of not feeling good about ourselves. We all do it, but we all do it in different ways. And that's why I say perhaps tonight, you want to just consider that. I want to challenge you about that, uh, but not in a way that you have to name aloud, okay, where, where your tendencies go, but in a way that you might think and consider uh, between you and God, what are those ways and whether uh, tonight, whether it might be possible in some ways to direct our deepest desires, our deepest itches, our deepest hurts and, and, and our, our desire to relieve those hurts, if we could direct that feeling towards our great and awesome God. Tonight my sermon uh, is titled, We All Have a Drinking Problem. We all have a drinking problem. Let me pray 
Uh, God, again, we come to you tonight with that sense of we need you. And as I speak now briefly on this idea around our desires, I pray that you would enable us uh, to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. Uh, Challenge us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The very ancient Christian writer Augustine said uh, about God, he said this, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. C.S. Lewis, uh, not as ancient, but you know, not, not recent either, uh, said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The psalmist of Psalm 42 expresses this longing like this. The psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I suppose I propose tonight to each of us uh, that each of us have thirsts and innermost desires. But what I also propose tonight and what I believe uh, is a lesson that we could draw from this conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman, but also from our scripture that we saw in Jeremiah, uh, that our deepest desires can only ever be totally quenched and satisfied, not by removing them, but by directing them towards God. Tonight, I, want, I don't want you to go away from here thinking you've got to kill your desire. I don't want you to go away from thinking, yes, I need to want less. No, rather, I want to encourage you in some ways that you might want to direct those strong desires and those strong wants towards the living God. Jesus uses the language uh, with his conversation with the Samaritan woman. He uses the language of thirst and living water. He has this amazing conversation uh, with this woman from Samaria. There's a whole thing about how uh, men and women shouldn't be talking in, in public together. You know, Jews and Samaritans shouldn't be you know, talking to each other. And Jesus, hot, middle of the day, can I have a drink? And through the course of their conversation, and we've heard a little bit of it tonight, it turns around from Jesus asking for a drink of water, uh, it turns around to the Samaritan woman saying, Jesus, uh, I believe you have a drink of water for me that goes deeper than what I can offer you out of this well. Jesus challenges this Samaritan woman around, uses the idea of literal thirst about the way that she had been channeling uh, thirst and desire in her life, perhaps, and the way that uh, the broken world had left her empty-handed when it came to actually satisfying the desires of her heart. Jesus uh, crosses so many social barriers just to have this conversation, and I want to encourage you tonight that wherever you think you are, however far you think you might have gone in some areas, however far you might think you've drifted, uh, however unworthy you might have convinced yourself to be, however much you think you don't fit into some sort of religious or Christian uh, mould or stereotype, I want to encourage you tonight that, that one of the lessons that we can draw from the conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman is that you haven't got any barriers in your life that is too much for Jesus. Even tonight, he's willing to come and meet you where you are. If you are the other person on the side of the conversation, he's willing to meet with you and talk with you and and challenge you about your deepest desires. Well, approximately 600 years before Jesus had this conversation with a Samaritan woman, there was a prophet. This prophet had the name of Jeremiah, okay? And uh, 
I really like this prophet. Okay, you might have gathered that I really like this prophet. Uh, great prophet. Uh, his nickname was actually uh, the crying prophet, the weeping prophet. Uh, Jeremiah was an emotional guy, which I related to, and I like uh, like Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah wrote a whole book uh, in our Old Testament, uh, and we read. We Natalie read for us a few of those verses from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Now, the thing with Jeremiah is that he was a prophet that was constantly at odds with just the general drift of society, okay, the general uh, direction, attitude of where the the society uh, in Judah was going. And he had struggles. I said he's emotional. One of his, the reasons he was emotional is because God gave him a task, a mission to go and tell a whole bunch of comfortable people who thought they were doing the right thing that they were actually totally going the wrong direction and doing the wrong thing. And nobody would listen to him. And so Jeremiah was known being a bit pessimistic, a bit frustrated. Uh, he was unable really in a lot of ways to shake his countrymen from their complacency. One of the things that Jeremiah did that made him quite unpopular was that he challenged the people around their God substitutes. He challenged them about the things that they reached for, that they went for, that they used okay, to, to substitute what he said God can only do. He, cha- he, said, he would come uh, quite bluntly and, and say to them, you are in your life worshipping, you are directing your emotions, you are directing your hopes in all the wrong directions, direct them now back towards God. He wasn't popular and a lot of people didn't listen to him and the truth is if he came today and had a similar message, maybe he would be equally as unpopular. Well, one of the times that Jeremiah was speaking about this, he compared the people of Judah and he compared their behaviour in a really interesting analogy. He compared their behaviour and chasing after all these God substitutes instead of God himself. He said, your behaviour, your actions are like just a terrible exchange, a terrible swap. Have you ever made a terrible exchange, a terrible swap? I don't know uh, if at any point in your uh, life you have collected some sort of uh, card, Pokemon cards or something like that. Uh, When I was in primary school, I collected as many Pokemon cards as I possibly could. And there was a few cards that were always really difficult to find, really difficult to find. Anyway, I used to live in a townhouse on the Gold Coast and I, I remember I was in like year six or year seven and our next door neighbour, uh, this year two kid, also liked collecting Pokemon. And long story short, I discovered that this, uh, this, this year two kid next door who I used to spend a bit of time with, he had one of the cards that I had wanted for so, so long. But then I discovered that he didn't actually realise quite how rare and valuable that card was. And so I had a conundrum. Okay, I thought, what can I do so that I can have that card and then he can have something else? He won't even know. And all of a sudden, okay, I will have this great thing. Okay, so I proposed to him, I showed him, oh, look at the cards that I've got. Oh, look at this one. No, this is good. And he's like, oh, yeah, that is a good one. Uh, little did he know that, you know, there was 10 of those in basically every pack. And I managed to convince him, okay, don't be too disappointed in me, uh, to take this worthless uh, card from my pack for this 
super rare, never going to find again, valuable card in his pack. Made the switch. No harm done. Thank Yep, oh, you've got the better deal over here. The next day, he went to school. Uh, someone told him, what, you had that card? The mums got involved. I got in trouble. We had to switch back, okay? It was a whole thing. I learnt my lesson. But the thing is, this kid next door, he made a terrible exchange. It was a bad swap. I wonder in your life if you've ever made a bad swap. Taken one thing and swapped it for another, and the thing that you've actually received back was worse than the thing that you had in the first place. Jeremiah says that the people of Judah, the people of God, had done this very thing. They had the living God. They had God Almighty and they'd swapped God for God's substitutes, inferior things. And he said it was like this. It was like exchanging a well-watered, dug-in-the-ground, down to some pristine spring water well. Okay, Think of a well in the ground. He said it's like exchanging like a really good well of water for just a terrible, cracked, muddy, unhealthy, uh, potentially life-damaging sort of puddle of water. You see, in the ancient world, a cistern, uh, which was in that reading, he said you swapped a, a, an awesome well for a cracked cistern. He said it was, he, a cistern was like a dodgy well. A well, you see could have running water at the bottom. A well was often filled with fresh water. A well was often, you know, highly sought after. It was the thing, if you had a well on your property, the value of your property skyrocketed. A well was what you wanted. Cisterns were just a dodgy substitute. It was a hole in the ground that sort of acted like a a container. Uh, Rather than it being a source of fresh water, it would just store stagnant water. Uh, And and it was just not anything close to being a well. They could stick as much lime, plaster and different things around it to cover the surface, but it was still old water. It was still not fresh. And, you know, at best, at, at very best, cisterns could yield you some old stagnant water that you could potentially drink. Very often these cisterns would develop cracks and not even have any water in them at all. In ancient Judea, you wanted a good well. Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah says, the people of God have rejected the fresh running supply of God's faithful goodness and have instead chosen stagnant waters of their own man-made systems, choosing them over God. Even upon discovering that their systems were cracked, they still would choose to use them, he said. And Jeremiah's argument, and perhaps it's my argument tonight, chasing after God's substitutes to satisfy our deepest desires is doing exactly that, swapping fresh running water for dirty, muddy, cistern water. Dead God substitutes cannot impart life. This desire to uh, worship, this desire uh, to feel satisfied, this desire for life to make sense, this desire for our stress and anxiety and worry and loneliness to be gone and to feel 
full and abundantly full of the life that God has created us to have is a desire uh, that I think deep down we all have. And it's a desire that is not often met. And this is the type of thirst that Jesus talks about in his story. It speaks to the fact that we were made for satisfaction in the presence of God. But life often takes us on other journeys, leaving us as a parched people, desperately seeking to alleviate our pain and frustration and ongoing desires. Uh, Gwen Smith uh, is a commentator and and, uh, Gwen writes, we dig our own cisterns, broken cisterns, and expect them to satisfy our thirst and bring us contentment. We drink from the broken cisterns of materialism, position, wealth, popularity, stuff, relationships, rules, and religion. We have faulty expectations that our kids, spouses, friends are meant to satisfy our heart needs. And here's the truth. Things that are broken cisterns are not necessarily terribly obvious bad things. A lot of these things that we reach to 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 fill our deepest desires are fine things. They're good things. They're normal things to be enjoyed. Perhaps sometimes the most dangerous things in our life are those innocent things upon which we place too high of an expectation. Those normal, regular, innocent things that we think deep down, if we could just get that, if we could get that regularly, if we could have that all the time, we would be eternally satisfied. Instead of going to God, we go to these other things. Good things that sit on God's pedestal. The truth is that good things, relationships, uh, you know, um, owning things. Uh, even Je- this is what I love about Jesus' story. He's talking about water. He's talking about water, and I think one of the reasons he talks about it in terms of water is because no one's going to argue that drinking water is a sin. Satisfying ourselves with food and drink is not obviously going to be a sin, but it's a perfect example. Uh, if we think that a glass of water is going to not just satisfy our physical thirst, but a glass of water is going to satisfy our deepest life desires, then we'd think, that's crazy. That's just a glass of water. We're not saying that glass of water is bad, but your hopes and your expectations on that glass of water are way too high. I want to challenge you about the things in your life that aren't necessarily bad things, that you do that as well. We all chase that feel-good feeling that can come from overeating just as much as it can come from a runner's high after a 10K or a 20K or whatever K. That feel-good might come from a drug addiction just as much as it could come from attaining a religious reputation. That feel-good feeling might come from accumulating a big number in a bank account as much as it could come from an addiction to shopping. And my point is this, that we as a universal uh, human experience chase that good feeling and that gratification. We chase pleasure and relief for our deepest of thirsts. And some of us, some of us are better at pursuing that feeling in a more respectable uh, way, in a way that, you know, won't make us look bad to our peers some of us chase that good feeling in a way that, you know, it's so covered up in, in maybe religion or career or different things like that that no one can point to and go, oh, that's a sin. Some of us are better at doing it, keeping it more discreet. 
But as I said at the start, we're all chasing these different things in different ways. And if it's not God that we're reaching for to reach our deepest desires, then it's just a God substitute. For the Samaritan woman, relationships and broken marriages had marred her life. And we don't know the detailed way that each of those relationships broke down. More likely than not, she was the victim of a broken society rather than her necessarily uh, going from man to man. But it is possible in the context of this conversation that this woman's high expectations on each of those relationships might have contributed to her just disappointment in life. And if that's true, she would just be guilty of what we'll all be guilty of in our life, thinking that things are going to fulfil us more than they can. Some of us think that if we could just get a romantic relationship going in our life, then okay, then I would finally be okay. Some of us think that if I could just get a bit more money and just get a bit more of a steady income, then, then I would be okay. Some of us think if I could just own a house, okay, then I would be okay. Some of us think if I could just finally retire, then I would be okay. But as long as we place our expectations on these various things to finally make us okay, we're going to be disappointed. Jesus, I think, challenges each of us tonight to think about what we reach for, what we go to. And one of my favourite parts about this conversation that Jesus has with this woman in John 4 uh, is that after her conversation with Jesus at the well, she's so impressed, so amazed by what Jesus was able to say to her that the water pot that she had brought to the well to fill it up, it says, and it's just this little detail in the story, says that when she went back to her town to tell everyone about what Jesus had done and said to her, it says that she left the water pot back at the well. She left it behind. It's just this little point remembered by an eyewitness that doesn't even necessarily add to the story. But for me, that water pot that she left behind speaks to all the broken water pots in our lives that we need to leave behind. The things in our lives that we too often depend on the broken, inferior sources of water that we, I think, are called also tonight to leave behind. I want to speak tonight as I finish, not just negatively about, okay, stop doing this, stop doing this, but really lift your expectations. Uh, as, I've, as I've tried to dampen your expectations on what these other things can do in your life, I really want to lift your expectations about who God is and what he can actually do in your life. I want to lift your expectations about what it would mean for your relationship with God perhaps to go to another level, to have more authenticity, to have more regularity, for your faith in Jesus not just to be a thing that you do on Sundays but to be the very direction and focus of your life. I want to lift your expectations. Say, if you were to say, okay, I'm going to lower my expectations on everything else, good, bad and otherwise, and I'm going to raise my expectations about how God can satisfy the deepest desire of my soul, I want to say to you tonight that God can and will meet you in that place that there is the possibility of finding uh, in the deepest part of ourselves a satisfaction that only God can provide. I'm going to finish now. I'm going to pray for us. And as we sing our last song, I really want you to use that opportunity uh, to think about the week ahead and the patterns in your life and about how we might direct ourselves more to our great and awesome God uh, as we leave this place tonight. Let's pray. 
Lord, we are sorry for the times in our life where we have uh, not worshipped you as we should. We're sorry for the times that where we have put uh, a divine expectation on things that surely cannot meet that. Lord, for the times where we thought relationships would be the thing that would satisfy us, for the times that we thought alcohol or drugs or food or career or money, for each of these things, whatever it is for us that we reach for, Lord, we want to say, Lord, we are sorry for reaching for those things to satisfy our deepest desires. And we want to say to you tonight, Lord, that if it's you, if you're the only one that can, then, then meet us tonight. Meet us tonight, Lord. Help us to have even just a drop of an experience and of, of what it means for the living God to come and meet with us. And we know, Lord, on this side of eternity, uh, Lord, that that's, that's, that's always going to be uh, impacted by being in this broken world. But we look ahead with so much joy, God, to the day when you return and when you bring everything into reconciliation. We know that now and also then that we might be able to drink from your well and be satisfied. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.